Holy Spirit, we pray that uh, these words would come to life, that you'd open our hearts to what they have to say to us today. God, that we would leave this place changed and knowing more of who you are and who we are. In your name, amen. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you here. Let's just be honest. For a moment, you thought you were going to get Reverend Dr. Scott Dudley. But you got me. I'm Kevin Williams. I'm uh, on staff here at Bell Prez in the youth department. Any youth in the house? Still early. Still early. All right. Hey, this summer we've been walking through the book of Mark and asking the age-old question, what if the life of Jesus were an action movie? My initial response, where are the explosions? And when is the chase scene going to happen? And what would be Jesus' catchphrase when he got the best of his enemies. In all seriousness, we've seen plenty of action this summer as Jesus called out a small group of people to experience this crazy life where the lame walk, the blind see, the demon possessed are set free, and the kingdom of God confronts the lies, fears, and darkness of an enemy desperately trying to get a foothold. Still, No explosions. But isn't that great? See, the life of Jesus is an action movie where lies and deceptions are replaced by grace and truth. Where fears are replaced by hope. And darkness gives way to light. And death loses its sting and eternal, abundant life springs forth. It's the feel-good action movie of the summer of our lives. And today we find ourselves at a very interesting point in the story. So far, the ministry of Jesus and his disciples seems to be going really well. Miracles are happening at every stop. Jesus is confounding the Pharisees, and crowds of people are showing up to see them. And yet, Jesus knows what is coming. The climactic conflict that will shake his friends to their core. A moment filled with betrayal, denial, and pain. And three days later, forgiveness, reconciliation, and joy. Our scripture today finds us in the not yet, the quiet before the storm. The moment for us to be reminded of why we have chosen to follow Jesus in the first place. We find Jesus and his disciples in a home in Capernaum. Their home base of sorts, a safe place to gather before their next adventure with Jesus. It's in this environment Jesus looks at them and he asks a simple question. What were you arguing about on the road? His friends go mute, unable to share how they were talking about which one of them was the greatest. Jesus seizes this awkward silence and turns it into a teaching moment. He takes a seat. He gathers his friends And he reminds them of their mission. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant to all. This is a dangerous statement. Before we can begin to grasp the realities of applying these words to our life, we must first apply them to the life of Jesus. What enabled Jesus to speak these words and fully live them out? Because I know this. When I take those words and I apply them to my life, they become law. And I break this law often. 
How was Jesus able to live these words? To become the suffering servant, and in the words of Paul, Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Sign me up. Death on a cross. That sounds amazing. Where did he get his motivation? What propelled him to live into this reality of servanthood, of having to serve someone like Peter? Did Jesus wake up every day and say to himself, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all, even Peter? Because when I read about Peter, I don't know how Jesus did it. Except that there's these two moments in his life. One happens before he's ever done anything, and the second shortly before the cross. As Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist, a voice from heaven says, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. And towards the end of his ministry, with the cross on horizon, a voice says, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. See, I don't really think Jesus struggled to be a servant to Peter, to the prostitute, the tax collector, the leper, the blind man, the Pharisees, the rich young ruler, or the women at the well. He knew where he stood, in the arms of a father who loved him and was pleased with him because he was his son. Throughout scripture, Jesus exudes a confidence that comes from knowing who he is. When he was tempted in the wilderness, two of the devil's questions began with, if you are the son of God, but Jesus knew he was the son of God. You see, I think Jesus, it was his identity that propelled his ministry. It was his identity that gave strength to his ministry, that brought hope and healing See, unconditional love is an amazing motivator. It shapes the way we see ourselves, and it changes the way we see people. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to take an apologetics class at Multnomah University in Portland, Oregon. It was a week-long intensive class, so we'd meet in the morning to discuss what we believe, why, and how we can share that with other people. At lunch, they would send us out onto the streets in Portland, for some hands-on experiential learning, and in the afternoon we'd return and share our stories of how people reacted to our questions on faith, God, and Jesus. I heard of a lot of great stories that week. I got to participate in a few good stories as well, but the most profound activity we did the entire week happened on the first day. Our first assignment was to spend an hour walking around Portland, preferably where we were sure to encounter people like parks, and grocery stores, and practice the discipline of recognizing another. Our guidelines were simple. Make eye contact with as many people as we could. But when you notice them, you can't say hello or how are you doing, but when you notice them, in your mind we were supposed to say you exist. You were made in the image of God. You were called to be his child. God loves you so much. I noticed two profound ideas during that hour. First, it's super awkward to look at people 
and not talk. <laughs> and you have to talk really fast in your head so it doesn't make it more awkward. And secondly, and more importantly, I discovered I rarely recognize others. And rarer still do I remind myself of who they are in the eyes of God. But isn't this what Jesus was so good at? Looking at others and seeing past their facades and calling out in us our true identity, what we were always meant to live into. To see others as called, loved, and kept by God because they exist means that we have to believe those same things about ourselves, that we are loved, called, and kept by God. And if we don't, if we don't, then becoming last and servant of all becomes a chore, an expectation, a law that we will never fulfill. And so we're back to us. How do we live into this servant mentality that is fueled by the Father's love? One of my favorite stories from the Bible is the parable of the lost son in Luke 15. It begins with a son who asks for his inheritance early, effectively telling his father, I wish you were dead so that I could get along, I could get on with my life. Jesus really knew how to start a story. The son leaves his home for a distant country and squanders his wealth in wild living. Famine soon comes to this distant country and finding himself penniless. The lost son takes a demeaning job feeding pigs. One day in the midst of this stench of his existence, he realizes that his father's servants get along much better than this. And so he devises a plan to return to his father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. As this lost son is returning home, his father sees him from a long way off and he runs to him. His father wraps him in his arms and kisses his son. And in the midst of that embrace, in the midst of that embrace, his son puts into action his plan and begins to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And before the son can finish, his father begins to prepare a party. He says, my son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost is now found. We're going to party. Did you catch it? Did you see what the father did? His son was ready to give up his rights to ever be called his son again. This son was so filled with shame over what he had done, he could no longer imagine having the intimate connection a father shares with his children. And his father stops him and says, no, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. Do we hear those same words today for us? You are God's son. You are God's daughter, whom he loves. And he is pleased with you because he created you and has set a dream and a purpose inside of you. If we don't hear this, then I'm afraid that becoming last and serving all becomes a religious task in an environment where bitterness, envy, and strife become our motivation. And so to make sure that we hear these words, I want to read you a letter. I'm going to read these words, and as I want you to create some space. If you hear the spoken word best with your eyes closed, then do that. Let your imagination work. If you want to see these words, we're going to 
try and put them up on the screen here. But this is a letter from your Father, from God in heaven, compiled from Scripture. These words are throughout the Bible. They are his words for us. This is the Father's love letter, the cry of a Father's heart from Genesis to Revelation. My son, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered, for you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being, for you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You are not a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I'm not distant and angry, but I'm the complete expression of love. And it's my desire to lavish my love on you simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider, and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts toward you are as countless as the sand on the seashore, and I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good, for you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and with all my soul, and I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me, and I will give you the desires of your heart, for it is I who gave you those dreams. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine, for I am your greatest encourager. I am also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are brokenhearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day I will wipe away every tear from your eyes and I'll take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your father and I love you even as I love my son Jesus. For in Jesus my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you. And to tell you that I'm not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love, and nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been father and will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? I'm waiting for you, love your dad, almighty God. Will you be my child? Yes, amen. <laughs> Will you be my child? Will we step into this identity of being God's children, of finding all our worth, hopes, joy, and love first foremost in God and from that place move into service? After reminding his friends of the mission to be the very last and to serve all, Jesus makes his teaching practical. He takes a little child, embraces this child in his arms, and says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name 
welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. A funny thing about kids, they're dependent little human beings. They live in a concrete world where things are black and white, and they depend on their environment to give them structure and vision. What they see and hear encompasses their reality. And if they live in a distorted reality, harmful behaviors can develop. And so we hear Jesus pushing us to receive children, to welcome them in the name of Jesus and of God, their Heavenly Father. While Jesus reminds us of our mission to serve, he also reminds us to recognize those who are most shaped by our service. Those who need a daddy, who need to know they have a father in heaven, and to know that when we receive them, they will see God in us. A few years ago, my family and I lived in southwest Washington, where I was a Young Life area director, trying to start a new youth outreach program at Camas High School. Each week, I would go to Camas High, a school of roughly 1,500 students, and visit all three lunches. I can still remember sitting in the parking lot thinking, what are you doing? School lunchroom is a scary place. Scary place. Spent the first few months marketing our Young Life events and trying to get to know as many students as possible. But students weren't showing up to our events. Didn't they know I was making myself last and servant to them all by bravely showing up at their school and providing some pretty amazing events during the week? And then at some point, it dawned on me. We live in a world that's always trying to sell us something to get us to buy into some kind of program. And so I started showing up to lunch without my flyers about our next event. I left my agenda at the door and I sat at their tables and started asking questions. I still had plenty of awkward moments. That happens when you're 28 and the kids you're talking to are teenagers. But when a kid asked me why I was there, I could honestly say, I'm here to meet you and see how you're doing. And once you know it, Students started showing up to our events, and they got to hear the good news of the gospel. I'm still learning what it means to serve from a place motivated by my Father's love, and not out of obligation or to sustain a program. A little over two years ago, I came on staff here in the youth department at Bell Prez, and I got to work under Greg Milliken. Greg consistently encouraged me to listen for my Father's voice to make time in my schedule to get into the presence of God, to know that he was near, and that God longed to draw me ever closer. It was something I was hungry and thirsty for. Well, one Sunday, a student came to our program in the upper campus, and you could tell that this student didn't want to be there. See, upstairs we have these round tables set up so students and leaders can sit down, eat a donut, talk about life and God. It's a place that, that we like to think it's a place to be known and to know others. Well, this student saw our tables and headed straight for the only table where no one was sitting at. Seeing this, I headed over to the table and introduced myself. Hi, I'm Kevin. What's your name? Crickets. Not even a handshake. Little did this guy know that I spent three years of my life getting shot down at lunchroom tables at Camas High. <laughs> and I could handle this. I asked him, what brought you to church, to this crazy room with round tables and donuts? And he told me, my mom paid me to come to church. <laughs> I asked, how much? 
He said, $7. I said, you got ripped off. <laughs> I would have asked for 20 For the next 50 minutes, we ignored the program happening in the room and talked. We shared with, we, he shared with me some dark stuff that he and his friends were into, and I kept telling him, that doesn't scare us around here. We've got a God who loves going into dark places. Towards the end of the hour, this young man looked at me with a new intensity and asked, Kevin, when you look into my eyes, what do you see? Now remember from my Portland story, looking into someone else's eyes make things awkward for me, but I did it anyways. So I looked him in the eyes and I said, I don't know. And he said, Kevin, when I look into my eyes, I see death. But when I look into your eyes, I see hope. I wish I could say that this young man is a fixture at our youth events and in this church, but I haven't seen him since that day. But that's okay because we don't always get an immediate return when we serve others. We might not ever know our impact, but I know now that he's seen a glimpse, that there's a sliver of light making its way into the darkness. So today I want to encourage you to step into the truth that you are God's sons, you are God's daughters, whom he loves and is well pleased with. I want to encourage you to carve out a space to hear his voice, to be in his presence, and from that place, move into service to become the very last and the servant of all, propelled forward by your identity. And welcome those who don't yet know that they belong in God's family, that they are his kids. See, the world is longing for a dad like our Father in heaven. And if it sounds too scary to take this message outside of our walls, then start here. Start on Sundays with the people around you. Remind our children, remind our teenagers, remind our young adults of who they are in the kingdom of God. Pause for a moment and look at those seated next to you. Chances are there is someone seated near you who needs to hear these words today. You are God's child whom he loves and he is pleased with you. Please pray with me. Father, help us to learn how to hear your voice today, tomorrow, and the rest of our lives. Guide us to create space to be caught up in your presence. May we find our complete worth and identity wrapped in your arms, and from that place, become very last and servant to all, for a world looking for its Father's love. Amen.